Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, episode three of our second season. Today is Thursday, February the 8th. Very pleased to be joined today by Stuart Crane, CEO and founder of Voice Metrics. Stuart, say hello. Hi, Bradley. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Stuart. Share with us a little bit about what Voice Metrics is and does. So, Voice Metrics allows businesses to get their business information by voice. So, we're trying to take the voice assistant and offer it up into the business world. So, if you want to know, for example, your sales or your orders or your open tickets or revenue or profit, these KPIs that you might normally get in your dashboard or through reports out of your systems, you can just ask your voice assistant for it. That's what we do. Very cool. And the website is voicemetrics.io? Correct. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. And before we get going, I also want to thank our sponsor, Voice XP. So entering into 2018, Voice XP is the presenting sponsor of both This Week in Voice and the Voice First Roundtable. And we're very grateful for them. As I mentioned many, many times before on this show and others, Bob Stolzberg and his team are doing a phenomenal job. And we actually just added an episode of This Week in Voice that will be coming up in March where the entire Voice XP team will come on the show. We're looking forward to that. So with that, we'll get to the news. I wanted to take an opportunity to wrap up the Smart Voice Summit, which is a really interesting and well-done event that just took place over in Paris. And this is our first story of the week this week as a wrap-up of that event. The event was produced by Smartly.ai, uh, and they took the opportunity to launch their partnership program at the event. We're going to post the link to that partnership program in the notes of This Week in Voice after the show is published. And that partnership program, it put, what it does is it puts brands in touch with the right voice professionals to ensure that they succeed with their voice strategy. It's a, it's a very cool program. So the Smart Voice Summit had 250-plus voice enthusiasts from around the world, uh, visitors from nine different countries attended. A couple of things stood out. First of all, Google and Amazon were both in the room, and they both presented, and they both did a good job. Uh, very interesting and actually somewhat dramatic to have them both in the room listening to each other's talks, and a uh, very interesting scene. Karen Kashansky, who's been on this program before, uh, super smart, uh, voice-first mind, uh, delivered what I thought was the talk of the conference, um, did a superb job. Brett Kinsella of VoiceBot.ai was there. He also gave a fantastic talk that was cited a bunch in social media. All in all, it was a great mix of talks, panels, and workshops. Uh, I, I was able to go over there and speak as part of two panels, and I was grateful for that opportunity. Um, just wanted to take a moment and thank them right off the top. And, uh, and Stuart, you'll have to hit up uh, the Smart Voice Summit next year. It's uh, highly recommended. Oh, absolutely. No, it sounds phenomenal. Yeah, they, they did a nice job. So uh, even before we get into anything else, wanted to uh, give them the kudos that, uh, that they deserve. Now we will shift gears into something that is done much worse, which is the HomePod, our story number two. And the HomePod is out this week. Um, and it's been interesting to see the news around it. Uh, Neelay Patel of The Verge, uh, as we mentioned in the, the news stories of the week, identified a security flaw, which I don't understand why it isn't getting more press than it is. 
you can't set up a HomePod without an iOS mobile device. So every HomePod is going to have an iOS mobile device, an iPhone tied to it. And all you have to do, you should watch the video. It's really kind of jarring. You, all you have to do is walk up to the HomePod and ask it to tell you what the, the last text that you received was or uh, go through the list of texts. You can say any number of commands related to texts, uh, and it will start reading the user's texts out loud. And then you can even send a text uh, via voice through Siri through the HomePod with no authentication whatsoever. Um, the New York Times had an article with the byline that said, don't rush to buy it. So, Stuart, my question for you to really kick us off from a news standpoint this week, what is your take on the HomePod? Have you bought one? Are you planning to buy one? And do you think that Apple can get to a point where they can truly be competitive against the likes of Amazon and Google? Well, as far as have I purchased one, the answer is yes, but has it shown up yet? The answer is no. So I, I literally ordered one the day that you were allowed to order them, and I still haven't received mine. Now, yeah, who knows how long it's going to take, but I do want to check it out. And like you said, it was amazing to hear that um, you could just walk up to a HomePod that's already authenticated and listen to text messages. And interestingly, you can actually send them that way. So that was odd. And what Mr. Patel also points out is that they should be able to get the voice recognition capability in there because he says, he points out, when you say, hey, Siri, to your phone, only your phone activates. So I thought that was interesting. Um, so there's definitely some flaws in the HomePod that I dislike about it, and I'll go through a few of them. He talks about AirPlay, where you can set up your Apple TV to use AirPlay and send to your HomePod speaker, but as soon as you ask the HomePod for a song or something like that, it disconnects it. So it really doesn't support uh, the ability to have a HomePod through AirPlay um, in, a, in a nice way. Another thing I use quite a bit, Bradley, is uh, the Bluetooth speaker capability of my Echoes. So you can't use your HomePod as a Bluetooth speaker. So, for example, I might be in my car um, with my phone to my Bluetooth speakers in my car listening to your podcast, This Week in Voice. And then when I get home, it's a long podcast, so it's not over. I just walk into my house and I say, Alexa, connect Bluetooth, and I can hear the podcast continue on my Echo. Uh, you can't do that with a HomePod. And I think that's a pretty major flaw. Now, Apple might say, oh, well, it's not... You shouldn't be able to use Bluetooth, but I think a lot of people do it that way. Um, another thing I, you know, I used quite a bit with the Echoes here at the house is the intercom feature. So we have a bunch of kids at the house and my wife, and so all the time we're basically wanting to talk to each other in other rooms. And that's been great with the Echo, and the HomePod doesn't have that. Uh, the calendar capability, I use that quite a bit, and apparently the HomePod doesn't have the capability to ask for what events are coming up today or put anything onto your calendar, which is actually really nice with the Echo with, with Alexa. You can just put on a calendar entry by voice and it goes on there with a reminder and everything. So that's been really nice. Now, I thought was interesting is that one thing Apple touts is that these smart speakers are mainly just used for listening to music and controlling some smart home devices and asking for the weather. 
So if you ask for the weather from the HomePod or Apple device, it's really not a good experience. It really just gives you the temperature. Um, when you ask the Echo or Alexa for weather, she does a much better job. So uh, there's just a lot of things I think are just not as nice and capable with the HomePod, but I haven't received mine yet. And, and we obviously got to look at the positives on it. And everybody says the audio quality is just phenomenal. And it just, they haven't heard an, a better speaker than this HomePod. So we got to give it that, right? We do. And, uh, and I'll, I'll take it one step further too. So I saw a report about the HomePod. The report said that 92% of HomePod buyers are men. Now that's okay. kind of that's very interesting because as you know anybody with statistics knows I mean you could ask a thousand people you know what is your name and you're not going to get you know you're getting 95% of them to say that correctly is is probably uh, a feat. So the fact that 92% um you know, our male who bought the HomePod, you might as well just go ahead and call that a hundred percent. I mean, obviously this is a male dominated device and I can't tell you all the reasons why, but I can tell you that even as outspoken as I've been about not liking the state that Apple is in from a management standpoint, thinking that they're making mistake after mistake after mistake with a lot of things that they're doing. When I look at the HomePod, I love the shape. Like, it's a cool shape, you know? And right. I, I don't know if it's because I'm a guy or if they do, like spend a bunch of money on some psychologist to say, what do we need to shape this like? Uh, and then I love the space gray. Like, I feel like they could, they must have commissioned studies on top of studies to, <laughs> to find this particular color. You know, I bought the latest MacBook Pro in space gray and have suffered through the keyboard that doesn't work and the battery that doesn't hold a charge. But boy, I love my space gray. You know what I'm saying? Like with the, with the HomePod, um, between the color and the shape of it, if it weren't so absolutely non-functional, I probably would have bought one, even though I'm, you know, I object to so much of what they're doing. So yeah, they're doing some things right, and you're right. The audio quality um, has been praised across the board. That same review from Neelay Patel praises it. All the other ones do, too. Yeah, there's some things about it that, that are appealing. But, you know, the thing about Bluetooth, how does it not have Bluetooth? And it's easy to forget. It's not like this product was announced in November. You know what I mean? This product was announced back in right. June. This product was announced back in June. Exactly. And, uh, and lest we forget, Apple's got the most resources of arguably any company on the planet uh, in terms of talent, in terms of dollars, uh, in terms of uh, however you want to measure resources. So there's just no excuse. Yeah, and uh, I think another thing regarding the audio capabilities of it I thought was very odd is that you can't set up multiple well, – yeah, you'll be able to do it in the future, but you can't set up multiple HomePods to basically – you know, generate the same sound. So it's multiple speakers. I mean, you know, we grew up in the seventies when stereophonics came out and you could hear the separation of the stereo. Well, you've got this amazing home pod as far as audio capabilities, but it's a single speaker. Well, it's obviously multiple speakers in one device, but if you put it at the, you know, at the end of the room, you're only going to hear it from that device. I want to hear the stereo separation at some point. 
you'd have to suspend a lot of belief to think that with the audio engineering that went into the HomePod, they aren't ready to launch, you know, uh, the capability of having multiple HomePods in one room. Um, and if you watch that Verge review, it actually goes into some detail on when you set up the device, it calculates where everything is in the room. Surely it wouldn't have been that hard to just calculate that, hey, there's another HomePod sitting there and, uh, and to adjust. Now that, I don't know if I could have resisted that if they had actually done that. That might have put it over the top. Yours is coming. Uh, you were an early adopter. You bought it. It's coming. You'll have a chance to get hands on with it, but you definitely have put your, your uh, you definitely have got the fingers on the pulse of some of the problems that people have identified. What do you think they need to do? Give me your top three things that they need to do for um, either an update to the HomePod or the next one that they do to be more competitive. I think they need to open up the music to the other services. Um, that's, that's huge. If it's a music device, then <laughs> hello, you got to have Spotify. And I think they'll recognize that. Obviously, if you, you, know, you go into Apple TV, you can do Netflix and all these other apps on the Apple TV. Well, you should be able to play Spotify on that. I think that's the main one. And then really just the things I talked about that I looked as far as the intercom and the Bluetooth and those things. And I think they'll come over time, Bradley. I think they will, but you know, they have to see, you know, it out there and people kind of complaining and saying, Hey, if it had all these things, you know, we might actually purchase them. So, and, and you, you never know, they might come out with a HomePod mini and, you know, I think Apple can still turn things around. It's just going to take a while. I am not so sure. Uh, at least not with, not without a CEO change, which I've advocated for before. They, they change their CEO out. I think they start to fix these things. But as long as Tim Cook's there, it's clear reading interviews with him. He, he doesn't care. He, I, I suspect he's clocked out a long time ago. He's got other ambitions. But uh, I'll hold out hope. I'll put it that way. Maybe uh, I'm hopeful that uh, they, can, they can get their act together as we get deeper into 2018. Moving on to story number three. This is our VoiceBot.ai story of the week. So VoiceBot.ai, run by uh, Brett Kinsella and his crew, is a great news site for voice, uh, all things voice and voice technology. The story of the week is about the Amazon Alexa ad that was on the Super Bowl. So Super Bowl is a great game. I got to see part of it. I was still sort of heavily jet-lagged coming back from the Smart Voice Summit, which we mentioned earlier. But I saw the ad. It's a great ad. And many pundits who watch the ads and, and live in that ad space, uh, the advertising world, thought that Amazon won the Super Bowl with their ad, as VoiceBot.ai did as well. So, Stuart, my question for you, what did you think of the ad? Did you like it? Did you not like it? You think it won the Super Bowl? And how do you think it sets up Amazon uh, moving forward with Alexa? Oh, the ad itself was fantastic. I mean, the thing that I really like about what Amazon is doing with this ad is they're stressing the Alexa service and the Alexa voice assistant and basically the uh, the personality behind it. Rather than, if you remember the previous ads and previous Super Bowls, it was more about the actual Amazon Echo device, the cylinder that sat in your kitchen or sat at a party and you could talk to it. But now they're shifting more to the assistant and the ecosystem. And, and I think that's evidenced by what they're seeing and what everybody's seeing as Alexa everywhere. You remember CES, you had a lot of 
buzz about that. And Alexa is all these devices. So Amazon is saying, well, yeah, we, we really need to focus there. So the ad itself was phenomenal to be able to, you know, take these personalities, these Hollywood uh, stars and make them uh, part of Alexa. So that was great. There was a lot made about the Super Bowl viewership being down close to 10%, um, which is really significant. The NFL viewership was down significantly both in stadium as well as uh, people not watching. But I think that the, the Super Bowl ads are sort of immune from that. Um, and I, I'm interested to hear if you agree, but to me, the Super Bowl ads, they go viral. People are watching them. You know, in, in Amazon's case, I thought they did something that was especially smart. They had a teaser um, that came out a few days before the Super Bowl where they set up the ad and got people um, hungry for it ahead of time. And I was trying to remember if I've ever seen someone do something like that before. I think that that's been done multiple times before, but I can't remember any specific example. But in, in this case, I thought it was smart. And even the fact that people were, were not watching the game as much as they have historically and the NFL is going through some stuff. Um, I don't think that affected Amazon at all. I think that that ad got a lot of exposure. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, it absolutely got a lot of exposure. And I agree with you that it was, it was a good play for Amazon to have that teaser. It was basically the first, I don't know what, 15 seconds of the actual ad itself where Jeff Bezos is like, holy cow, what's happening with Alexa? She's not talking. She has laryngitis or something like that. And it's like, oh, yeah. what's going on? So it, do, it did kind of set things up and tease everybody. Oh, and then I think you, you probably saw a lot more people watch the ad when it came out and got released. What was it, two or three days before the actual Super Bowl, something like that? And it was on YouTube. And I think it got a lot of views that way. And people loved it. And then I was interested to see you know, when it would air. And it actually did not air until the fourth quarter, but it, it was a good game. And I think a lot of people watched through and, and people, like you said, do watch, you know, just for the commercials. So, and the fact that it was number one, you wonder, did that come from people watching it as it happened in the fourth quarter? Or did it was just because there's all of these ads are now obviously all online and on YouTube and you can watch them all in a, in a stream one after the other, if you really wanted to. But um, they did a great job with it and um, having it number one, not from just the voice community, of course, they're going to love it, but uh, just overall was, was great. I think they definitely benefited from it being late in the game and uh, especially with how the game played out. Um, I haven't seen specific numbers on this, but uh, I guarantee you people were tuning back in toward the end uh, who weren't watching. I'm sure the, the, viewership went up coming out of the halftime show people probably tuned out for the halftime show i didn't particularly care for it um i did watch it but um and then you know the numbers probably grew and grew uh as the game went along so i think that helped them the other thing that's worth mentioning and the voice bot.ai story actually mentions this significantly they avoided the gimmick that we've all started to get a little tired of of uh, stuff on the TV activating Alexa or Google Home. I feel like they got a, a good bit more wind in their sails from the story coming out about how the Alexa ad in the Super Bowl is not going to trigger your device. Why? Because of this finger, this vocal fingerprint technology or whatever they called it to where the, the signature uh, of the audio, you know, Alexa knows 
not, you know, in an intelligent fashion, uh, not to trigger. So not only, you know, are you going to be entertained, but we're also savvy enough and we're also thinking about you, the customer, enough to where we're not going to annoy you like you've sort of gotten annoyed with some of this stuff like the Burger King thing and stuff like that. So kudos to them all the way around. It was well thought out. Yeah. And um, I did a little bit of research on that and it is pretty germane to obviously the voice listeners out there in your audience. And Amazon actually was looking at this way back in 2014. They applied for a patent called audible command filtering. And essentially, there was two ways that they could stop Alexa from waking up with a planned broadcast. No, a planned broadcast would be, we know we're going to have the Super Bowl commercial, and we know we're going to say Alexa 10 times, so it's planned. So the two ways are they can transmit a snippet of a command to all the echoes beforehand so that the echoes can compare that to um, other wake words and basically ignore it if they know, oh, well, that's coming from our Super Bowl ad. And the other way they could do it was with an inaudible acoustic signal, kind of what you're talking about with a fingerprint, which essentially tells Alexa to ignore the wake word. And so there was a a Reddit user that really did his homework on this. The Reddit user basically said that Uh, The Alexa Super Bowl ads transmit weakened levels of sound in an upper portion of the audio spectrum, basically between 3,000 and 6,000 hertz, which is outside of the sensitive range of our human hearing. So he was correct, and Amazon actually had a blog post come out a few I don't know exactly when it was, before the Super Bowl, saying, quote, we are employing acoustic fingerprinting technology that can distinguish between the advertisement and actual customer utterances. So, you know, that's what they're using. They're using this inaudible signal that goes out and um, tells all the echoes that just don't don't wake up when this comes through. Now, here's the thing, though, for other broadcasts, like you mentioned, Bradley, the Burger King and the South Park episodes and those that are not in control. Amazon doesn't have control of theirs. They also have this really um, interesting technique that they employ in real time in an algorithm to detect these multiple simultaneous wakings, you know, Alexa or, you know, echo wakings that come up and they, they have the same waveform that comes through because it's all identical essentially from the TV commercial or Burger King or it's South form, uh, South Park. And so they can stop 80 to 90% of these in real time. So that is in their system on their servers. And um, if you notice when you're watching a TV show um, and they say, Alexa, you a lot of times you will not get um, Alexa to wake up because of that. It was all super smart. It was all really well done. Uh, you know, Amazon looking at spending uh, the number thrown around was $5.2 million for a 30 second ad is what I saw. Um, if that's indeed what they spent, then it's probably money well spent for them uh, because they got, uh, in my estimation, it sounds like yours too, their, their money's worth and then some. So that's uh sets up the rest of the year well for them. So so while HomePod is giving your texts away and your privacy, Amazon is nailing the Super Bowl ad. So there's, there's our start to 2018. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so uh, shifting gears to story number four, Google Home is sort of experimenting is the way I read it, having a first step in the, in the kiddie pool of, of uh, going multimodal with Chromecast. And so the article that's linked in... The news uh, stories of the week talks about how you can ask your Google Home to tell you the weather. And if you ask 
okay, Google, show me the weather on my TV. We'll display the current temperature and five-day forecast on your Chromecast-enabled television. So that's pretty neat, and clearly that's a foreshadowing of things to come. And Stuart, my question for you, do you agree that um, that this type of thing is what Google needs to be doing? And I think that you probably would. And, and what are your hopes for where Google takes this moving forward beyond just weather? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good for them to do, but I just don't see it being this huge, massive use case for people, particularly the weather thing. I think as they expand it and you can say more things to your Google Home speaker, which I have, and I have it hooked up to Chromecast, but um, it just doesn't, doesn't get used much in our home. So we ask Alexa for the weather all the time. And it's true that that's a big use case for these smart speakers is asking for the weather. But I don't really need to see it on a screen necessarily. I mean, if you want to get more detail about the weather and you want to see a map and all that, then you're almost going to just go to your laptop or your phone and kind of interact with it, you know, with your phone or with a laptop. So I don't see it as something huge. And then also we have a Fire TV as well. And you can connect Alexa to your Fire TV or just use the Fire TV remote and talk to it. And you can say open AccuWeather. Um, You can say uh, really short commands to get weather right there with your Fire TV. So I don't think that Google is leapfrogging anything. If anything, they're just barely catching up. If you had a Google Home and a Chromecast sitting there, how would you know that you could do this? How would you know that you could say, okay, Google, show me the weather on my TV, and it would actually work? And the, the article that we link actually talks about this, where it says, Somebody just like experimented and found out that this works. But what you're saying really opens the question of how do you, how does the user know that they can do this? And really the the bigger question is, I don't think you'd want the user to have to say, show it to me on the TV. The device just needs to know that the user likes to see information on the TV or they don't and show it to them or don't. You know what I'm saying? Do you agree with that? Yeah. So, so I do use Google home and then with the Chromecast, when you add the on my TV, TV at the end to your commands, whether it's with your Google Assistant on your phone or with the Google Home speakers, it basically takes that and says, oh, I'm going to shoot it to the TV. So I think part of it is an educational thing that once you start saying, you know, play this video, this YouTube video on my TV or show me the weather on my TV, I don't think that's going to be so much of an issue, but it's just, is my... Chromecast, my TV on and in Chromecast sitting on the wall or, or wherever. And it's just not. I mean, it's it's either off completely or I'm basically watching something else or whatever. And Chromecast, uh, I don't know how much experience you have with it, but it really doesn't have a user interface. There's no home screen like you have on a Fire TV or a Roku or an Apple TV. There's no you know interface where you use a remote control and you, you go through it. So it's kind of odd to me. And that's one main reason I don't use the Chromecast is, you know, you've got Fire TV, you have a menu system or obviously cable TV, which a lot of people do still use, even though people are cutting the cords, you know? Yeah. And that's, that was actually my first exposure to Chromecast. I bought a very early one and wanted to experiment with streaming different things to try to cut the cord. Now, my wife has resisted every effort of mine to cut the cord. Uh, apparently, The Bachelor is that important. <laughs> That's another subject. Exactly. I hear uh, you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in the early Chromecast, 
it, it just didn't, I mean, maybe there, there's high potential for user error to have been, have been involved, Stuart, but I'll just say it didn't work very well for me. Um, and so I sort of gave up, but you're right. It doesn't have a user interface and I don't have a lot of experience with it, but that's, that's interesting that if you just say on my TV, that's sort of code words for, Hey, try to do something with Chromecast. So yeah, I, I think in this case, it's really, if you are in the Google ecosystem and you have an Android and you have Chromecast like kind of running all the time and that's what you use, then yeah, I think this makes sense. And it's like, you know, show me the weather on my TV. That makes sense. But it, I just seem, it just seems like that's a very small percentage of the people that are in that situation. Well, it speaks to what uh, Brian Romley has talked about and what he talked about at the Alexa conference, actually, the, the need for context and even proactivity out of these voice-first devices. Users aren't put in a position to where they've got to know the specific voice commands. They can just know that, hey, these people who have the Google Home and the Chromecast generally keep the TV on. So if they ask Google Home something, they'll probably want a multimodal experience or, hey, these people never turn the TV on. Let's just leave it off and don't bother them with it, you know, stuff. I think that's where we're headed, but yeah, this, um, and so I guess the story is good from the standpoint of discussing some of those, uh, possibilities uh, for where the industry is moving down the road. But yeah, absolutely. Story number five is a personal one, uh, in many ways, voice first FM is expanding. So I want to take a moment and, uh, highlight each of the three new shows that we've added, you know, entering into, 2018, we really had five core shows. Um, we experimented with some last year, but we really have five core shows. This Week in Voice, The Voice First Roundtable, The Alexa Podcast, The Voice of Healthcare, and AI. Now we've added three new shows, Alexa in Canada, hosted by Dr. Terry Fisher, really cool show. He's about 10 or 15 episodes in at this point. Talk to Me, which is a topical uh, husband-wife show with Katie Ernst and Max Ernst out of Philadelphia, and BUX World with Kane Sims out of the UK. So three shows that we feel like fit the portfolio well, people talking about different things, providing different perspective, international flavor in there. No, I, exactly. And I have listened to some of the Alexa in Canada, and it's interesting to get you know, Dr. Fisher's take on things, how it differs from the US. It's, it's great. You know, he's so articulate and he's also he's just very precise in his language, as you would expect a physician to be. And it really adds a lot of value to how he puts these podcasts together. That show in particular, uh, I, yeah, it's it's fun to listen to that. And, and for that reason alone, if not several others. So yeah, and I'm, I'm interested in the talk to me as well, because uh, I'm getting my wife to use uh, the Alexa so much more and uh, we use it for a lot of stuff. So it'd be interesting to hear their interaction about about voice in that podcast. Yeah, yeah, it, it will be. I'm looking forward to that and, and what Kane Sims is doing. He's just about to launch. I think he's recording his fifth episode today. So he's got five sort of in the tank, uh, ready to launch um, in quick sequence, uh, as he, uh, gets going. So it's exciting. Um, we're excited to play the role of storyteller for this industry and excited to have, uh, these three great new partners on board. Stuart, thank you very, very much for joining me today and being my guest. Oh, thanks Bradley. I appreciate it and enjoyed being on. Well, let me, let me close by asking this. If somebody wants to learn more about voice metrics, what is the best way to reach you? Best way is just to go to our website. It's www. 
voicemetrics.io. That's the best way to learn about us. And there's links in there on how to get set up with things and just uh, see what it's all about. Very cool. For This Week in Voice, episode three of season two, thank you for listening. And until next time.